listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. Today's topic is about the Enneagram and blended families, how we can use the Enneagram to help us in the complex, amazing, but sometimes difficult blending of two family cultures. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, my sister, Abigail Perry. I am so excited to have her on today, and she's going to be sharing with you her experience as a mom in a blended family and so much more considering she also has a master's in mental health and has worked so well with so many families, even in psychiatric settings over the years. So she's going to gift us with such wisdom, and I'm so grateful I get to talk to my big sis who's an Enneagram 3 on the show today. She's somebody who was, along with me, raised by our Enneagram 8 dad. So we're going to talk about being raised by an Enneagram 8 as we get started. And you're going to hear a little bit about her job and what she does. She and her husband are also a black and white couple. So we're going to be hearing a little bit about how they're navigating that hard territory right now. But most of all, this episode is going to be some tips about blending families. So welcome, Abby. And why don't we go ahead and get started talking a little bit about our time with our eight dad. So excited that I get to talk to my sister here on the podcast. That's so cool. It is so cool. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on today. You and I know, of course, growing up under an eight father, as I've talked a lot about on the show, we end up learning how to debate. We end up learning how to understand that dynamic. And although I'm not married to an eight, I really don't mind at all when eight clients start to get feisty because I understand it and I grew up with it. So I think that's an added advantage to you because you had such a great relationship with our dad in so many ways. So I think that he taught me so much about learning to work with people who can be critical and it's really taught me a lot of where it comes from and criticism isn't necessarily a bad thing if it's constructive. And so that is one thing to be mindful of when you're working with an eight or having relationships with an eight, whether it's a parent or a spouse or a sibling, is that they wanna provide this constructive feedback to try to get you to be the best version of yourself. That's the biggest thing. It comes from such a good place and they're also very protective. And so, you know, one thing we always laughed about so hard with my dad, who I still laugh about this, is he has written letters when he was alive to my bosses when he didn't like how they were treating me. And as a three, I was appalled in (laughs) And I'm sure most numbers would be also, but um, so it's something really funny that he did looking back, but it came from such a good place that it was very interesting. But of course, in my career, I've had to tell bosses, you know, my dad may be sending you a letter and (laughs) probably just ignore that. But so, but I do think now in hindsight, they came from great places. So it's really funny to look back on and something I actually miss in a way because it's like the staunch advocator and I have that in my husband you know Mm -hmm. they advocate for you and 
whatever way they see fit. And it's wonderful. Oh, that is so funny because here I am not being that type where I never had dad do that for me. And I preferred that. I was like, no, but I felt like you guys had this beautiful dynamic. That was not my personality to have him do that with me, as you know. And he somehow knew that and then did it with you, but you could fight back really well with it. And when you were little, we called you little Abby fighter. I know when our brother would put us up to box each other and just fun little wrestling moves from WWF. That was one of the names you got. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And he often reminded me of that. Our dad did while (laughs) I was going through cancer treatment and Mm -hmm. he just came through and, you know, even came into isolation, although he claimed for weeks after that he wasn't feeling well, but, um, (laughs) you know, so he even came through that way and just Mm -hmm. continued, you know, providing that support. And when our mom died, when I was eight months pregnant, he stepped in and filled that role and came to a lot of appointments with me and did all this stuff with me and having that eight in your corner during those, you know, very traumatic times when he was dealing with the loss too of his wife you know, unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And, but then he was advocating for me to make sure that my care during, you know, hard pregnancy was cared for properly. And so that having an aid in your corner is amazing. It's such a blessing and a gift. If you can really see those positives that are with it and seeing what great people they are truly underneath that exterior. Mm, Yeah. I think that's a really beautiful reminder about eights because eights get a lot of flack for being passionate. And people say, what is an eight supposed to do with their passion? And what do they do when they have too much passion? Because people always tell them to tone it down. And I think that's really neat that when you have an 8-3 dynamic, you say, hey, I don't mind that because I have a big personality too, but you help them to organize it sometimes, which is a great quality that you guys bring to that 8 dynamic. And I remember you doing that with our dad too, is being able to say, okay, this is so sweet that you want to write this letter to my work, but tell me next time. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can or organize how about this. <laughs> yeah. Or how about I just will submit it for you, dad, and then it doesn't really get submitted. Or <laughs> how about I proofread this. <laughs> right. This is literally, and you guys have to understand, <laughs> this is her at these executive level jobs and our dad saying, hey, I'm an eight, but I'm just learning about the Enneagram. So I'm not necessarily yet an eight in health. So it's like, we need some right. help. He's sending the letter no matter what, but where is the letter going? We'll see. <laughs> so I think you trying to have- intercept those letters from secretaries along the way has been interesting. <laughs> well, you guys had that constant chess game going. And yes. so it's really something that I don't play chess well. Our entire family plays chess very well. And our brother just won the Motor City competition for all of Detroit. So it's like a serious thing in the Massey family. And Abby has it. And dad had it. And David has it. And Holly has it more than me too, my OT sister. But I don't have it. (laughs) So I think that's really funny that you guys really did that. And I was just like, okay, I'll be over here in my corner. (laughs) And so I think that's a really good place to start. 
Well, I am so thankful for you, honestly, with the topic, because it feels like you are going to be helping us with several topics that we're going to navigate through. But we're also in the spot where we're thinking about blended families and you're in a blended family and you have that master's in mental health. So I'm like, oh my gosh, you're the perfect guest for this. So thank you so much. And I know you're a three, so you're probably really busy. Hoping to get some things done, but I had a few this morning, just trying to make sure everybody is in a good spot with supplies and everything we're dealing with for COVID. Hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do in your organization? Sure. I am the vice president of quality for a very large organization in Michigan. It's a nonprofit that help people in a variety of ways. We have a mission that is to serve people through the love of Christ. And mm. We reach out and do tons of different types of outreach. So we have affordable housing, HUD housing. We have seven senior living facilities. We have many foster care programs, substance use services, behavioral mental health, work with people coming out of women's prisons, and we have them in living in some of our programs. We have people with disabilities in some of our homes, and we go in and provide care to people. And then we also have a family homeless shelter that is typically at the max full, and they provide great care to homeless families trying to get them um, to have some permanent housing. And then we also have a, a community center that provides about 14,000 meals a year to the Saginaw community in Michigan. And we just do so many different types of outreach in our programs. And we're also working very hard right now to make sure that our residents are safe and the people we serve are safe during COVID. And that's a large part of my job is just ensuring everything is going well in each of the different types of programs. So we also have new Americans and refugees and um, many different types of services and we really are working hard to help our people feel safe and secure during these challenging times. Wow, that's amazing. And you're vice president of quality over this. So you're really working hard to make sure people are doing what they're saying they're doing and that everyone's getting the services they need, it sounds like. Yes, that is a big part of my job. Just making sure also that people's mental health needs are being met. Mm -hmm. We're seeing an increase in different types of challenges for our people that we serve. Our seniors haven't been able to see their families in a significant amount of time due to the visitor restrictions. And so our staff has been working so hard to think outside the box and just provide great care and support during this time. And the communities have been awesome mm. coming in and doing different things. We've had like a lot of parades going by and car shows and, mm. you know, things that the residents can look out their windows for. One of the families got married on site oh, and the, their, res, their mom and dad were looking out the window waving. It was so sweet. Oh and God. people come to the windows a lot of the times, um, the family members, just to give a wave to the residents because they're not allowed to see them in, in person. So we're hoping that can change soon. Oh, that's amazing. And I know that those little touches mean the world to them. I can't imagine. And I've always seen you work with people in actually unimaginable places, states, and you've done such a beautiful job of it. 
truly serving the least of these people just feeling in despair uh, at the edge of life and death. And often you've been assisting doctors in huge health systems or now this job over the last while. And before that you were serving in <laughs> mental health centers. So I'm really, really thankful for all the good work you're doing, humanitarian work. And I think it's a model for a lot of type threes who are also achievers like you and want to meet their financial goals. But you're also able to take care of your family as well as meet the goals for serving these needs. So it's beautiful. And I just thank you for that. Yeah. I look up to you. Thank you. (laughs) So I've shared (laughs) that on my show. And first of all, I want to make sure that we get a sense for her working with blended family issues. So maybe you could tell us just from the female perspective, a large part of our listeners are females. We do have some males as well, but I noticed that the statistic tells that one out of five families is blended typically. So that is something that's good for us to know because especially if I think about 10,000 people on the Instagram listening in for Enneagram and marriage stuff, I think about, okay, here's here we are on Instagram with 2,000 of these people being from a blended family. That's a lot of people within our listener base that we can speak to today. So I know you're up for the job if anybody is, because you've explored this not only with other families, but now your own as well. So tell us a little bit about the role of a wife that you see for blended families. It is so important to start off on a positive foot when you're starting to blend a family and transitioning them. However, I do want to say if you don't feel you started off on the best foot, there's still room for improvement and you can still make progress, especially if you are open-minded and recognize some of the things that you may be faltering at. And so it's a work in progress. We are learning every day and we have a lot of challenges that come up and we just try to have the best communication possible. But I would say one of the biggest things, and this is from my time and experience providing mental health care for many years and also as a person who is blending a family, one of the biggest tips for wives would be it's really important to know your place and to respect the mother of the children that you're blending the family with or the father that you're blending the family with, regardless of your personal opinion on the other person, the mom. As for me as a stepmom, I have my role in our family and also make sure to respect the mother of my stepson and make sure that I keep any personal opinion I may have to myself and never badmouth that mother in front of the children and working with co-parenting. And sometimes it can be challenging because we're all different types of parents, especially in different types of personalities. And so knowing our place and helping that other person who is the parent as a step parent, letting them know that even if you don't say it to them verbally by your actions, that you're not trying to take over their role Mm -hmm. as a parent is key because they're going to be a little bit anxious, of course, for somebody else, like another mother to be trying to have that mother-daughter, mother-son relationship with their child that they gave birth to and that they've raised. And so when you're coming in in a transition, it's really important to remember and respect that role and just be an added bonus and support. So in our household, a lot of times what we do is we call that person the bonus parent. Mm. And so like, for example, um, I made, got t-shirts made for our family for Father's Day and the um, children for my husband, who are my kids, the stepchildren, I had their shirts say bonus son. And then I had his son's shirt say 
you know, super son. And then his shirt um, said that he's a bonus dad and a super dad. And so it sometimes, because that puts a positive spin on it to call it a bonus parent, because mm. that helps it to, I feel it helps it blend a little bit better when we call it a bonus parent, because it's an addition. We all need to be a family working together to have success in our children's lives. And so it's mm. a real added bonus to have another adult support in your household, not in your household, but with your household, as you're working through all these things, navigating life, trying to get your kids to succeed and stay focused on their goals that they want as children. And then later as adults to have added stress on them that their parents are fighting or something like that, that just creates so much additional anxiety for them when you're blending. And so it's really key to have these open lines of communication. And then also just, we really have found success with calling them bonus parents. Mm, I love that. I think that really makes sense that you're not putting this label on as I'm your new mother. And we see this in the 1940s movies. And I think of The Sound of Music, where even when there's a deceased parent, it's a shock for the children in that movie to hear you have a new mother. It's like, that's such an important title. And even if you don't agree with that person, there's a place of respect. So knowing your place means I'm a bonus parent. I have done so much research on this topic over the last two decades in my own practice. And most people recommend that that parent is a bonus or some, every family's different, but sometimes they look at that parent like a counselor or like a friend or an adult friend. Sometimes it works where they both end up doing the disciplining. And so we'll talk a little bit about that, but I think that that's a really important feature as you're saying, as we're blending in, sometimes it's nice to even take vacation together as families to see how is this going to work? What issues do we need to work out in and even do some therapy together around? Because we know this is, like you said, a big deal. And the good news is you get more than one minute to do it. You don't have to figure it all out at the beginning. But if you can, if you're in that position of just starting out, then you have a little leg up if you know right from the start to respect that parent and to consider yourself a bit of an extra. Any tips for the husbands that are starting out? I think that um, one thing is also the same type of thing, but it's almost a different thing um, because it's from more of a male perspective. And so it's good to keep in mind that there are some things that, you know, kids are going to want to have conversations about and just, you know, trying to have that respect and talking to the other people um, that are co-parenting, making sure that they're going to be okay with you talking about certain things, you know, from a male perspective um, with boys, especially if, you know, I'm bringing up boys. I mean, I think, I don't know if you said it at the beginning, but there are five boys in our family. And so, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about it from that perspective, they really can have the best of both worlds because my husband and their father or their stepdad, um, they both have different strengths. And so you can learn from both, but you also have to make sure not to step on the toes of another parent. Mm -hmm. And so that's key to all of it, whether, you know, husbands and wives, it's really just open communication and also really engaging in conversations with the children has been very helpful. We do a lot of family meetings where we have an agenda and we've done those with them since we've started blending and we work slowly through that. And then we talk about progress that has been made and areas of improvement Mm -hmm. that we still want to see things at. And we also give the kids a floor to talk about any of their feelings that they're having about the blending of the family and the trans. And so 
one of the um, times we noticed is the hardest transition, which is super common, is when they've gone to the other household and come back because rules of different households might be different. And so it takes a minute for the kids to adjust and then it takes, you know, a few hours. And sometimes when um, rules may be a little more laxed at one of the households or in our household compared to a different household, it sometimes takes a minute for the kids to get back on track. So we provide a lot of support and feedback, just letting them know we know that the rules are different. Here are the rules that should be concrete for all the households because they're safety rules. Mm -hmm. And so we go over that with them. These are the rules that we expect you to follow no matter where you're at because they are for safety. And that would be at a grandparent's house, a friend's house, another parent house, anything like that. And then we break it down into our family rules and our household communications. And so just keeping respect of the other households is important too. They may run things differently and we have to allow the kids to adjust to that, um, you know, so they're coming back and forth and not constantly feeling a sh rapid shift. So we try to communicate like any type of disciplines or any type of emotions that are going on throughout the week. Um, you know, mm -hmm. if somebody got a bad grade on a test or somebody is struggling with this homework, we need you to provide that extra support. Could you guys look at this with them? Things like that. And it's, you know, emails, texts, however you feel most comfortable communicating. And then also, of course, phone and in person. But we find um, that communication is extremely important and learning how to work with the other families mm -hmm. to see what would flow best for all the children involved. Mm, that makes sense. So there's some flexibility, of course, with each family style. And I love it because when it comes to children, these are great tips. And it makes me think about how they're getting used to everything too, just like the adults. A lot of people do realize that kids have adjustments to make, but they don't realize how big they are. Whereas kids under 10 tend to do a little bit better and kids in the 10 to 14 year range have the hardest time and 15 and up kind of tend to want to do some of their own things and they're not probably as involved in family meetings as such, but maybe some. So I guess I wanted to ask you this important question, thinking of this, and I know you have kids in all the age groups. Um, did you ever notice this? Because not being in a blended family, I don't know how important this is, but one of the statistics I read said that it's so important for each of them to have their own space, even if they don't have their own room, to have their own cubby or area because they're going back and forth. We have noticed that and it can be difficult um, on the children and it's sometimes better what we've noticed is rather than when they're coming right in the door and transitioning back into our household or right into the car, instead of overwhelming them with all the things that they need to do, we've noticed that the kids sometimes feel overwhelmed and they might present with more of an attitude or more of a snarky tone and so we kind of let them you know, regroup and de-stress a little bit, just put the belongings in the room, go downstairs. We have a basement area, you know, a finished basement, thankfully, um, that they're able to go down and de-stress or we give them a little bit of time to themselves to just regain their composure from going to the other person's household. And so it's not a negative thing, it's a positive thing. It's just giving them that time to settle in. And so we've noticed that's more effective when we do it that way. Um, and we also have done a lot of therapy and they do individual therapy due to some of the blending transitions that were a little harder for them. And then we have some family therapy with those therapists. We do our own therapy. There's a lot of stress when it comes to blending families. And so it's really important to hear every single person's perspective 
in the household. And that has been a lesson for me as well, because sometimes as a three, I'm going to think my way is the right way. I can be stubborn. And I also, it comes from a good place, but I also have to remember, and I've had to learn to hear all of the different opinions and feedback and learning to listen to not respond, but to listen and hear what that person's feelings and emotions are. Mm, that's really cool that you work really hard to think about what's behind the behavior. And you have teen boys too. I mean, you have five boys in this household put together. So that makes so much sense. And I love that you are giving them space to have their big feels. And you're also trying to address what those big feels are. And on top of that, you guys have been having to endure racial issues going around the country in this second civil war of sorts. And I know that it's not just the second, it's never stopped and it's been going on and on and on. How are you guys navigating that as a family? That's been a little bit stressful, I would say, but we are very open and we have had a lot of open conversations just about safety in general. And Mm. we have experienced some things in um, our lives that have, you know, led us to conversations with uh, our 13-year-old and 14-year-old, especially Mm. as they're getting older, um, just on safety when you get pulled over, when you are walking in a park, when these things happen, you know, when you're questioned by somebody of authority, making sure that you are following every direction, not thinking that it's the time to goof off or joke around. Mm. And so our kids are kind of goofy. And so Mm. we've had to really say, these are the things you need to take seriously. And it's not we're not saying it in a negative way where we're taking a political side or opinion on it. It's all focused on the safety of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like, we don't really have time and space to be political with our kids. We just want them safe right now because that's frankly where it's all hurting the families enduring this is it's not just on a political level. It's literally just, we want to be safe. We don't want to feel trauma just for walking out of our home. Right. Exactly. And we have, seen that and experienced that with different situations. And so we want to make sure that when the kids, if we're letting them ride their bike around the block or something like that, for example, that they're safe and paying attention at all times, because unfortunately it's a stressful time for people. And sometimes it's taken out in the wrong way when people reach that level of no ability to cope, Mm -hmm. they may act out in ways of anger. And so if a you know, teenage kid comes up and might be a little smart mouthy or jokey, they may take it the wrong way and then it could result in injury or something unsafe. And so we talk a lot about risks and, you know, what should be done versus what could be done. Mm, That's really important. And I like that you're giving them a voice too. You understand what they might feel like doing versus here's what's safe and healthy and wise. And you might have some feelings around this and I'm sure you do it's huge that they don't just take advantage of just feelings. You're helping them to process behaviors. And oh my gosh, I know that's such a hard work. And I've been so sorry. You guys are going through it on even a different level than so many other families. So I know you're doing amazing with it. I tell my Instagram crew that you are Facebook King and queen because you guys are doing <laughs> such good social justice work and loving people well. And you guys have people on all ends of the spectrum in your families and you're managing to love them well and have great conversations, which a lot of people aren't 
doing. Do you have any tips for how people can do that when they're trying to talk about either Black Lives Matter or within family, you said, keeping it about the safety that makes sense. But even with kids and with spouses where you have, I hear this a lot from clients that their whole family has disowned them or that they don't want to talk to them about this or that issue. And I'm hearing from all ends of the spectrum here in Florida. So I know you are too, because I see it on your guys' Facebooks, but can you give us any tips how you've been navigating that? Because I know as a three, your goal is to speak the truth in love and be assertive and your eight is assertive. So how are you guys managing that? It's been challenging, I will say. It hasn't always been wonderful or the outcome that we've wanted. We've had some learning and growth in those areas. They, you know, people can really learn how to push your buttons, especially when you're debating. And we were raised to be debaters and we were raised to think that our point is right. I mean, I don't say that in an arrogant way. That's just when you're taught how to debate, you want to win the debate. And Mm -hmm. so we were raised as competitors. And Mm -hmm. so, and then eight and a three are both Mm -hmm. stubborn and competitive. And so thankfully (laughs) in my household, we're on the same side with these things in politics because it'd probably be pretty you know, different if we weren't, but um, exactly. <laughs> so thankfully we are, but um, you know, as far as it, so it's been nice to have that team, like you said, with, um, you know, my husband and I who have kind of taken on some of the people that we challenge, but you know, really what I always try to stay focused on and I don't, I don't debate dirty. I can't say I've been perfect, but I try very difficult. I think that is the key to it is if you, you have to have facts to back up what you're saying and don't debate dirty and just really try to understand the other person's perspective and then try to take that under consideration and respect it, but also be able to show them facts on your perspective. And so, you know, we do take it a little seriously because these are such big impacts on justices in a lot of different ways with funding and benefits and health care and all of these different things, depending on, you know, what type of political party is in office. And as somebody who's worked their whole career towards a mission of helping others, I've seen it firsthand. And so when I speak about it, I speak passionately because I've seen that person who's struggling to come up with the money to pay their medications when their insurance costs go up or when their co-pays go up or when their funding is cut, food assistance cut, you know, housing is cut, different things like that. And so I speak from experience at many different levels. Mm -hmm. And so I do take it personally when I'm debating, but I also try very hard not to become overbearing because then the person is not going to consider your point. Mm, Yeah, I think that makes sense that you really have a lot of systemic understanding, but a lot of people have their own experiences and traumas. And so when you're coming from a place of love and care, you take that into consideration. And I think it's really great and brave that you said that's been a learning process for you because frankly, that is a learning process for everybody. Nobody's been doing either blended families perfectly or this conversation perfectly. And even as we just sit here together, we are not representative of everybody on the spectrum. And I think people get offended when we say, oh, today Abby's going to tell us everything we know. 
need to know about racial disparities and how we can heal. But it's just one more piece of the conversation for people who might not know. And you've been navigating from so many different ends that I thought you could be so helpful to share with people what they can do. And I love those tips. So that is awesome. And I'm hoping that we see some life-giving spirit back into our community in the next few months. I know the whole world is hoping that we see beautiful changes come and feeling like 2020 has been very disappointing in so many ways, but you guys are doing a lot of world changing. And if I can say one positive thing as a seven about the year, I will say we've all learned a lot and that's been a great blessing that will be carried forward over time about how to love people better. As many people as aren't loving well, I've seen a lot that are, that are leaning in, listening, learning, and that's been super encouraging. So I try to think on that because I know that gratitude is part of marriage happiness and it's super part of just being lack of depression and anxiety in our own lives during a year like this. You need pacing and not just self-care, community care, but pacing. So I know you've been doing that too. You guys are great about having your rest days and really working hard too. So I love that. And I was also going to ask you guys if you had any tips for working families when you're just so busy, you know, not just two people working, but you have three or four, depending on how many step parents there are. So when people are very, very busy, what are a couple tips you have as a busy three? I think that the biggest thing is organization is key. And it's something that I do not do well with. I have to work on that and improve myself. But when we're both working in and out of the household, and especially during this time where we've all been on different um, Zoom calls and different conference calls working remote and then the kids having to do school remote. It has been huge to try to be communicating with the different other perspective of the parents and the other households. They're working, they're trying to get their household situated and then also taking on the different households. The key to that is just being mindful of how can we best set this up so it doesn't result in failure for our children that or ourselves that will only increase our stress. Focus on a lot of like making sure we're not being inflexible, making mm -hmm. sure that we are being flexible and able to shift, which is hard sometimes, especially if I'm traveling, that everything's in place. And so sometimes that can create anxiety in the children, which household am I going to be in tonight? And so helping communicate with them, knowing that no matter where they're going to be, they're going to have a great place to go between the households as they adjust to that. And then also knowing when to be assertive and when to avoid conflict. You're maybe overstressed and overworked and then also tired. Um, everybody's tired from mm -hmm. working so much. Mm -hmm. And then the kids are feeling additional stress so they could be acting out a little bit. And then making sure that your partner is getting that self-care, you're getting that self-care, the kids are getting their self-care, we're all getting care. And then making, you know, one thing I've learned is that we almost have to pick and choose which battles to fight or to mm -hmm. go through and, and then avoiding conflict like in a no-win situation because you can just provide empathy and support mm -hmm. and say, you know, that sounds really upsetting to me. Also, I can see you're feeling upset about that rather than making it an argument. So learning mm -hmm. how to do that in different levels of communication is key. That's really good. I love hearing that you're working so hard to make sure people feel loved and heard, even if you don't agree with them. And sometimes you just can't with teens. You just can't because they're dealing with so much emotionally. So that's a great tip for families. What do you say about when it's time for kids to 
really show respect, even though all the studies tell us, give them time, be patient with them on enjoying their siblings and trying to get to know these new people who are strangers. How do you say people should try to merge without force? Do you think that it's important for them to spend a little bit of time together first, or do you think that sometimes that's unrealistic? It's difficult to say because it depends on the situation. I know that um, what we did is when we first started staying the night at the different households, take turns staying the night at each other's households and go back and forth. But when we first started, we also, I made sure to sleep on the couch with the kids and we eased them into each setting and environment. And we had a conversation with them saying, I'm going to sleep down here with you guys while we get used to this house and then I'm going to move upstairs and you guys are going to sleep here and then at this house we're going to do you know the same and we took them step by step through the communication and transition and we blended in that way and then that's why we also started having the family meetings which I think are hugely beneficial because it goes over different layers of the household and the transition that we're in and so we gave them a lot of Deadlines may not be the right word, but we would say now after we do this, this and this, we gave them all the steps. And so we would tell them we're going to, you know, give you guys time to adjust for the rest of September. And then by the time we have our family meeting in October, these are the things we feel you should be making progress on. If you're not making progress on them, we're going to have to reevaluate. And then one thing that our therapists recommended is that there are things that we broke down into categories with, um, different types of behaviors that we were seeing with some of the transitions. So certain things we made like a family rule, these would be immediate consequences, but each child had different ones based on where they were at. And then other things we would, so we, we were taught to prioritize different things while we were transitioning. Mm. And so anything with safety or, you know, putting the child in jeopardy of harm or anything like that, you know, sibling fighting or something like that, those would have immediate consequences, whereas other things we could more go through and figure out what the cause of it was. And so we always tried to find the root cause that we tried to do that to see what's, at, what's really at the root. And that's something I've been trained to do is continuing to ask why. Well, why, why did that happen? Why do you think that occurred? What were you feeling at that time? How did you get through this? And then we evaluate with them, what would you like to have done differently if you went back and looked at it again? How can you improve this for the next day? Hmm, that's a really good idea. I love that. You, you really do have, you have the experience, you know, you've been there. And I think that it's really important that we look at personality types too, because I know we're also looking at eights, as we said, coming up, but what would you say as an eight in particular, when you're thinking about blending with an eight in the family and you're thinking about what tips can you remember about your eight spouse recently in our Enneagram and Marriage Facebook group, you helped somebody with that. So I thought that we could lean into that for a second together, if you didn't mind, as we're closing up to say just a few tips for somebody married to an eight. No, I don't mind at all. I think it's really beneficial, actually. And I was telling you that it was hugely beneficial for me to also hear somebody else's perspective. And I was thinking that too, and it kind of validated some things about being married to an eight, which was really nice. But um, also, it helped me to see that this is ingrained in personality. And so one of the biggest things is an eight really wants fairness, and they really see things black and white. And 
a lot of times when their anger is pushed to a level, it's based on hurt. And I think that is something that really needs to be considered. They want us to back up what we're saying. They want you know, they have to have examples if they're even going to consider a point of discussion. And then when they feel like they're not being respected, mm-hmm. they're going to be hurt and that causes retreat and anger. And so a lot of their sensitive feelings are masked with a stronger front mm. than what they're really like. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So they're like, you're really not understanding that underneath what's this hard exterior in the anger is a very soft person who wants to connect. And I do hear that a lot about eights, that the desire for conflict is absolutely born out of a desire to heal, but they want to be respected within that framework. They don't want to be told they're too much. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great point. And it is such a good idea when you start discussing things to decide what, you know, you want, you are looking for with a resolution and eights are really to the point. And so for somebody in my role as a three, I might skirt around things a little bit more and try to be more sensitive about it and a softer approach and eights can be right to the point. And that's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. And it actually pushes eights really want somebody to grow and be the best version of themselves and to have an eight in your corner. Encouraging that is a really great thing. It's such a valuable thing that an eight will do for you is challenge you and not be afraid to say to you, you're better than that you know, Mm -hmm. get going, move forward with what you want, get your goals going. They're a coach in a lot of ways. Um, And so sometimes we just need to remember that it may come out a little bit abrasive, but where it's coming from is a great place of their heart. Mm. Yeah, that's really important. And I think eights are so close to their hearts. I really do. And I love that you made that our final point about our time with our eights because it's something we're going to really be digging into on the new episode about eights as well. So make sure you turn into this on our podcast. So you're really going to get a lot of great eight tips from that too. But I think it was really important for us to connect with being sisters and growing up as we're getting ready next time to talk about eights and giving some more tips on the marriage level. But that is so much fun to think about how you have ended up with an eight growing up with an eight dad. That's hilarious. It is. It is really funny. And I was taking care of our dad when he was sick and just dating my husband at the beginning, they both took the test and I found out they were eights, which the test we took said was challengers. And it just made me laugh really hard and read some very good communication books on how am I going to work with two eights in different spots in their life. And I'm a three in a different spot in my life transitioning and, you know, different parts of my career and going through transition with my kids. And so it was very interesting to have two eights in your corner at that that same time. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And they got along pretty well, which was so funny. And they even had a lot of the same political beliefs. What's funny to me is God always has a plan to give you what you need. Even if one has to let go, there's somebody else coming to take his place. And that's definitely the case for your story. So I'm so thankful that we can learn from you because you have so much to share about that. And then lastly, are there any books that you want to recommend to anybody listening? Crucial Conversations is a really important book. And I read it in my career 
And then Impossible to Please was another really good book. And then your books are wonderful, by the way. We also read those. And those have been great books. And I'm reading Dare to Lead right now, which is another awesome book about learning your vulnerability and allowing yourself to be vulnerable and having the ability to communicate truths. And that's a Brene Brown book, right? Yep. It's a Brene Brown book and I have quite a few of her books actually. And they really talk about owning up to your own truths and allowing yourself to be vulnerable enough to recognize where you falter and have that need for Mm self-improvement. And so it's been a really great book to read during such a transition with our family in this last year and also with covid And so, you know, these books have provided a lot of crucial conversations. It's amazing. It helps you walk through different ways to communicate. And that's the same with Impossible to Please, which is about dealing with perfectionistic coworkers and people whom um, spouses or siblings or parents, any type of person that you know is coming from a really good place, but sometimes you just feel like, oh, I'm never going to make them happy. It's really great to learn how to see from their perspective the little different things you could do with the way you're communicating that would change things completely. Mm, I totally get that. I think that makes sense that those books would be so needed and so helpful. And that one in particular, and what's the name of that one again? Impossible to Please, How to Deal with Perfectionistic Coworkers Controlling spouses and other incredibly critical people. And it was just funny because I got this book to when I was taking care of our dad, who was, like I said, the challenger. And I just used to hold it up and read parts of it to him. <laughs> he, he was um, being a little challenging. <laughs> so I would be like, dad, how can we um, rephrase what you're telling me? And, you know, instead of the angry, sarcastic response, let's go to the assertive response, dad. <laughs> or how about the neutral response? <laughs> right. And he loved learning. He was an educator. He did. Yep, he was. Like, okay, I can try that. But it was not natural. So, and that's, I think that's the book. I'm not sure how to say the last name by Alan Caviola and Neil Lavender. So impossible to please and how to deal with perfectionistic coworkers, controlling spouses and other incredibly critical people. And sometimes, as you know, as somebody coming from a blended family, you want the best to happen. You always do. You want the best for your children, but sometimes there's a different best than you expect. And so it's important to understand that it doesn't have to be a disaster. It can still be a great family. It's just going to be different. So thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. It was so much fun to talk about family and eights. And we covered so many important topics today, how to handle racial issues in a home, how to make sure that you are doing great with blending a family. And this is all just beginner conversations. So we're going to do more of that on and on and on. Keep listening and make sure you leave us a review at Enneagram and Marriage at Apple Podcast. Thanks so much, Abby, for coming on to talk to us today. Thank you. It's been wonderful. I really enjoyed it. And I hope everybody enjoys the show. Great.